0: Thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. if you've ever been waiting for someone to collect you and they didn't show up when you expected them to. I've seen it happen after church a few times where someone was waiting for a taxi and the taxi never turned up. Uh, Maybe we've felt that same feeling at an airport. The familiar face that you were expecting wasn't there to meet you. As the minutes tick by, waiting for that person to turn up can give rise to panic inside us, can't it? Especially if you're away from home or in a foreign country... And maybe after a while of giving the benefit of the doubt, making a few missed phone calls, you've given up and you've found your own way home or wherever it was you were hoping to get to. In Genesis 16, we come across Sarai and Abram who have been waiting for God to show up, not showing up to collect them, but showing up to fulfill a promise made 10 long years earlier. As we walk with them today, we're going to see two contrasting ideas in this passage. First, we'll see human doubt in verses 1 to 6, and then we will be reminded of God's faithfulness, verses 7 to 16, a theme which has come up for us time and time again as we've been walking with Abram, walking with God. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word and that it speaks to us in this time of waiting for Jesus's return. As we think about this idea of waiting faithfully in human doubt, we pray that your spirit would help us to understand your word, that from these very ancient words we might be encouraged in our faith as we live for you today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, it is important for us to remember that as we pick up with Abram and Sarai, chapter 16 doesn't follow hot on the heels of chapter 15. There's that 10-year gap that is passed. They're now somewhere around 85 and 75 years old when this narrative takes place, and it takes place over nine months in 16 short verses. In chapter 15, you'll remember God had sealed a covenant with Abram who had no children of his own. God had promised that he would have a son, and from his own flesh and blood would come a great nation. God would bring a people from Abram who would inherit the land that they were now in, the land of Canaan, so that they could in turn be a blessing to all of humanity, ultimately through Abram's descendant, the Lord Jesus, who would bring salvation to the whole world. In him, Abram's descendants would be a blessing for all humanity. And as Abram heard this, he'd trusted God completely, and that trust was credited to him as righteousness. Despite the fact that he was a sinful man, he was made right with God, not because of anything he did, but because he had faith in God. But that all took place ten long years ago when we start this chapter. During that time, they had been waiting. Sarai still hasn't had a child. There is still no heir, no one for this great nation to come forth from. Despite the original promise and the ongoing confirmation of that promise, that amazing covenant, Sarai just can't see it coming to pass. What she needs, a baby, is impossible at her age. The future that God had promised hangs in the balance. And Sarai is filled with doubt. God may have made those promises to Abram a decade earlier, but he hasn't fulfilled them. And so in verse 2, Sarai comes up with a plan to solve the problem. The problem of having no child of their own. Abram could have a child with her Egyptian slave Hagar. Now this isn't an entirely unique plan. Uh, This week I read four ancient Near Eastern marriage contracts, which all had a similar arrangement in them. If the husband couldn't conceive with his wife, then he could take another woman to produce an heir. That heir would belong to the father and his original wife. The second wife had no parental claim on the life of that child. For all intents and purposes, and this is putting it pretty crudely, she became a human incubator. It wasn't unusual in the ancient Near East. And so Sarai, knowing this common arrangement, recognizes this could be the solution to all her problems. Well, Abram doesn't take much convincing, does he? He's obviously not thinking with his head. And Sarai's plan is put into action in verse 4. He slept with Hagar, and Hagar became pregnant. Referring to her as a wife is very generous. And then the trouble really started. Now the problem of being unable to have children is compounded for Sarai. Abram has fathered a child with Hagar who is absolutely filled with pride. She's just gone from being a slave of Sarai to her superior. She has done something her mistress couldn't. Hagar takes great pride in her pregnancy and despises Sarai, we see in verse 4. That word is important for us to connect with, despises. And Victor Hamilton helps us understand what is happening linguistically around the word. In this conflict, Hagar turns against the very one who solicited her help and becomes pompous towards her. At least Sarai perceives it that way. In actuality, Hagar is taking pride in her pregnancy. This human solution to waiting to a problem quickly unravels. Originally, when she came to Abram, Sarai spoke words which seemed to be words of faithfulness in verse 2. The Lord has kept me from having children. There she highlighted Yahweh's role in bringing the covenant promise to fruition. Or not in her case. It looks like she's searching for a way for God's promise to come true. But after this pregnancy, verse 5 gives us a glimpse of her heart. When the plan unravels, she apportions blame and makes it Abram's fault. She hasn't got what she wanted. The uncomplicated provision of a baby to call her own hasn't come to pass. All she has now is more strife than before. And her heart is revealed to us as proud, pushing back against the natural pride of Hagar's pregnancy. Sarai hasn't found satisfaction in the promise of God that he would give her a son. Despite his clear word to Abram, promising all that she had hoped for and more, she has responded with a lack of faith. She's engineered a human solution to a need that only God could satisfy. Church, I want to confess something to you today, uh, but you're not to judge me too harshly, okay? I love gummy lollies. Now, I don't really care what kind they are, whether they're jet planes, wine gums, snakes, spearmint leaves, gummy bears. I love the lot of them. Uh, And when I'm hungry and I'm at home what I do is I reach up into a jar that I keep in our pantry and I will take a handful of gummy lollies to get me through. Now, when Karen is around and she sees me do this, and I'm pleased she's out at children's ministry this morning, (laughs) when she sees me do this, she despairs. She raises an eyebrow and she shakes her head and she tuts at me. Why? Because this habit is never going to satisfy me, is it? This sugar rush might get me through for another 15 minutes before I come back and start scrounging in the cupboards again, but it cannot satisfy my hunger, no matter how sweet it tastes and how good it looks. It's a human condition, isn't it? We chase a thousand things that we hope will meet our deep desires, desires that only God can satisfy. Instead of pushing into God and finding the bread of life or the water that means we will never thirst again, we go to unhealthy places of our own design. We respond like Sarai, designing human solutions in our times of doubt. That is how she responded. Well, Abram hardly responds at all. Did you notice? He seems to shrug his shoulders and walk away in this terrible conflict. In verse 6, Abram abdicates his responsibility to mediate the strife between these two women, and he throws Hagar on Sarai's mercy. But as William Congreve wrote, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, even if she was scorned by her own design. Abram's abdication echoes another abdication of responsibility that we've already seen in Genesis. Where did we see it? In Genesis 3, do you remember that as Eve took the forbidden fruit from the knowledge of tr- of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam just stood impotently watching on. He saw Eve turning her back on God's clear word to him, you must not eat the fruit from that tree, for surely you will die, and he did nothing. Christian I men, I think there's a case study here for us. Here is a warning and a reminder. God calls us to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Sometimes that's hard work. God calls us to lead in marriage and family wisely. But it's really easy to become a passenger, isn't it? It's hard to take the lead in family prayer time. It's tough to get everybody together into one place to open the scriptures. So blokes, do we take the lead? Or do we expect our wives to carry that responsibility in our place as well as the care and nurture of our family that they already hold. When we abdicate our responsibility in family life, or in marriage or spiritual direction for our fano, we create situations of discord and strife. Now, our world rankles at the idea of men taking the lead in marriage and family life. It's not a popular concept. We should expect our world to reject that idea. We saw it as a consequence of Adam's abdication of responsibility in the first place. That's where the battle of the sexes began. And we've been living with this imperfect imbalance ever since. And so we easily see that responsibility as a position of domination, of suppressing women. And that is not God's intent for us, gentlemen. As we exercise the fruit of the Spirit, we need to fight the temptation to dominate or to just coast along like Adam and Abram, when they should have been steering the ones they loved away from doubt into the clear word of God instead. Christian wives, how good are you at being led? It's not easy or natural, is it? When we fear domination or ungodly leading, our response is to push back, instead of gently encouraging a husband to lead in matters of faith. The Christian response for both husband and wife requires God's spirit to be at work in us, for grace and compassion to abound so that we might honor God in our relationships as men and women taking up responsibility rather than abdicating and leaving it. Well, as, Adam, uh, as Abram abdicates his responsibility, as he refuses to judge between Hagar and Sarai, he refuses to take the lead. Sarai treats Hagar appallingly. He treats her, she treats her so badly that she runs away. She flees the miserable oppression of her mistress. And now God's faithfulness shines through in the midst of all this human doubt, that he will keep his promise in his timing and truly satisfy In verse 7 we see that the angel of the Lord finds Hagar near a spring in the desert. It's a description of what God is about to be to her. This poor, oppressed, mistreated alien who's been pushed out after having been used by her mistress for her own ends is about to find sustaining life in the midst of a very dry and lonely place. As we see the angel of the Lord arrive on the scene, it's important that we understand who this is. The angel of the Lord, or sometimes called the angel of Yahweh, appears in various places in scripture. We're just going to survey a few very quickly. In Exodus 3.2, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses as a flame, and God speaks to him from inside that bush. The voice the angel of the Lord speaks with is God's voice. In Numbers, there's a story there between chapters 22 and 24 of Balaam and his donkey. And the angel of the Lord stands in the way, and God opens the donkey's mouth and speaks. God opens Balaam's eyes so that he sees. And when the angel of God speaks with anger, it is God's anger that is displayed. In Judges 6, Gideon sees the angel of the Lord, and Gideon sees him as one and the same with God. It records that as the angel spoke, Yahweh turned to him and said, in verse 14, they are synonymous. In the birth of Samson, later on in Judges 13, his father and mother see the angel of the Lord. And near the end of that story, Manoah is terrified. Verse 22, he says, We are doomed to die. We have seen God. These manifestations or visits of God are called theophanies. And the angel of the Lord is often the descriptor which is given, accompanied by a figure or a fire that is seen. And the one who sees that then hears the voice of God. God is not just speaking through the angel of the Lord. God is present in these moments. Victor Hamilton concludes, The angel of Yahweh is a visible manifestation, either in human form or a fiery form, of Yahweh that is essentially indistinguishable from Yahweh himself. The angel of Yahweh is more a representation of God than a representative of God. So how do we know that it's God himself who's caring for Hagar here? Well, this appearance is consistent with other theophanies, And look at verse 10 again. I will increase. The angel speaks in the first person. Here, Hagar is visited by and hears the voice of God. Hagar's misery and her torment and her oppression is seen. Her cry of misery is heard and Yahweh himself draws near and brings comfort. She's an insignificant slave. She's an Egyptian, she's been abused, but she matters to God. God, who will honour his promise and extend some of the promises to Abram to Hagar's son Ishmael as Abram's offspring. Now, he won't share them all. He will be a man who will live in conflict and strife, verses 11 and 12 tell us, but there is hope. He will also have many descendants who will come from him. And his name will be Ishmael, which means the Lord hears. And understanding that name helps us to understand the instruction in verse 9 for her to return to Sarai. It seems a bit rough, doesn't it, to go back to the woman who has treated you so badly. Why go back? She needs to go back because Ishmael the child and the meaning of his name will serve as a permanent reminder of how Sarai and Abram ought to have responded in faith. They ought to have cried out to the God who hears. Sarai has engineered a solution. She's treated Hagar appallingly. She refused to hold fast to the word of God, and everything has unraveled in front of her. A faithful response would have been to wait patiently, petitioning the God who hears and works for the good of those who love him. Friends, we find ourselves in times of waiting, don't we? Times of waiting for God to show up, to act in our lives, to act in our world. Sometimes we can feel forgotten, like we are not heard for a decade or more. And when that feeling comes, remember Sarai, remember Hagar, and petition the Lord who hears. Now before we say that's fine in theory, but it's hard, my situation is real and overwhelming. I want you to consider the faith of your Lord Jesus, who in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, knowing what was coming, said, not my will be done, but yours. Friends, that is faith in action, isn't it? Lord, here's what I'm seeing. My marriage is hard because my husband doesn't know you. Father, my relationship is full of strife because my husband or my wife dominates me. Lord, my family gatherings are heartbreaking because the young people gathered with us have no real idea of who Jesus is. I can't see a way for them to be saved. Lord, my health is failing and I am afraid. I am lonely. I need help. Friends, remember Ishmael. The Lord hears. The Lord sees our struggles. And the Lord is faithful. Something which Hagar recognises, where Sarai and Abram didn't. Their faith faltered, but Hagar believed God. And so she names God. She attributes his seeing and hearing to him. And as a way of memorializing that, in verse 14, she names the spring, the well of the living one who sees me. Sarai had let her doubt over all. She wasn't sure that God saw her or heard her. She wasn't sure that God would answer her prayer or fulfill his promise. So she used Hagar for her own purpose, instead of waiting in faith for God's promise to be fulfilled. Hagar the abused learns that God hears her, that God sees her, and she responds with faith. She returns to Abram and Sarai, and God's word is fulfilled. Ishmael is born when Abram is 86 years old, verse 16 tells us. Even when we can't see a way. Even when we are exhausted from waiting on the Lord. Have confidence in approaching God. If we ask for anything according to his will, we will be given it. We might have to wait. But God is faithful to his word. John knew it. In 1 John 5, he encouraged the followers of Jesus who felt absolutely forgotten. The followers of Jesus who had expected their Lord to return in their lifetimes to keep trusting the promise of God and petitioning the one who hears. In all the long years of waiting, waiting for God to finally complete his promises in Jesus, God remains faithful to his promise and his plan of salvation. Like Sarai, there are times where we are going to be sorely tempted both individually and collectively as a church, tempted to turn our backs on God's way and to engineer solutions of our own to meet our deep needs that only he can satisfy in the Lord Jesus as his spirit works in us. In those moments of temptation, remembering, remember the faltering faith which comes from human doubt and the wonderful example of God's faithfulness God did not forget Hagar. God has not forgotten us. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are true to your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would give us confidence and trust to hold fast to your promises, even during this time of waiting. Lord, we wait for things in our own lives where we long to see your promises fulfilled. We wait for things in this world that we long to see changed. We pray, Lord, that that would not diminish our faith, but that as we wait on the Lord Jesus in the power of your Spirit, that would see our faith strengthened day by day. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page, simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website, or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, Zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.